Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, and holy cow, on the day that we have like the most kids ever, it happens to be the day that we have them in service, so that's going to turn out to be either incredible or super incredible. I know, it's just going to be great. Um, Also, it's a little hot in here. Thank you guys for bearing through it. We're working through that, but today we're just going to be one big, happy, sweaty family, so I appreciate you guys all being here and uh, putting through it. Also, Brian already said it, but I want to reiterate, thank you again for everything you did for Home Again LA. I got to be around here a couple times, and the people just felt very blessed. They were so amazing. They were so happy. The kids were adorable, and it was an absolute blast, so thank you guys for, as always, going above and beyond. I got to do a couple of overnights as well. And I don't care how old I get, how comfortable I am with the church, there is always something creepy about spending the night in a church. Um, Just always, and I've probably spent the night in six to ten different churches, and everyone's the same. There's just a little bit of creepiness. So I may or may not have slept here last night with the light on, but absolutely did. So I'm feeling very brave this morning. I'm feeling very confident. Um, We are continuing in our series on the Psalms. Uh, We've titled the series Song of the Heart, and we get a chance to look into these authors who have just really laid their souls bare in these songs, in these hymns, in in this poetry where we get to see this real side of a relationship with God. We get to see them be brutally honest and be angry towards God. We get to see them come to realizations about God. We get to see this beautiful side of God, this challenging side of God. And I've just been so thankful for us going through because I've gotten to read the Psalms in a whole new way. Um, And we've started each service by hearing um, a song that's important to a member of our church, hearing something that that is impacted them because that's what these Psalms are, songs that impacted people and were important. So this morning I've invited Chen to come up here and share a song. So please welcome up Chen. There you go, buddy. Thanks, Austin. You know, um, when he asked me this week uh, to share a song, I had to think back to what Fred Howard said a couple weeks back. Um, He put it better, no better words than I can. Really, Brian? One song? Just one? Really? Because honestly, I mean, those of you who know me, uh, you know that I lead worship too for a house church I'm a part of, and also sometimes for the Sierra Madre Church of Christ. And when you're leading worship or part of a worship team, you realize there really isn't just one song. And that's not really the kind of question you want to ask a worship leader, because there really isn't one. But, uh, I mean, thinking back for me, uh, I mean, the songs for me, they change by the season, really. Like, every season I go through in life, there's been a different song that's meant something to me. Like, thinking back, you know, when I was a child, a couple songs that meant something to me, believe it or not, uh, Part-Time Lover, Stevie Wonder. That will always remind me of when I was a kid. And same thing about uh, Obla Di Obla Da. I didn't even know that was about the Beatles. And then uh, high school, like when I graduated high school, <laughs> believe it or not, um, Waiting for Tonight by J-Lo. <laughs> yeah, that's not on purpose either. It's just they would not quit playing that stupid song during my grand night. So for this season, you know, uh, some of you already know, uh, I'm, you know, my mom has severe dementia, and I've been caring for her for the past, you know, couple of years. And I know several of you guys in this room have walked that same path, or are walking that same path, and you know it's not easy. And uh, the one song that we, you know, I've been meditating on probably for the last, you know, couple of months, it's one by uh, Keith and Kristen Getty. Now, if you guys are not familiar with those names, you'll probably be familiar with some of the songs that they've written. In Christ Alone is one of them. And another one is uh, How Do You the Father's Love for Us. So I know we sung both of those songs here. And this song is also by them. 
It's called Still, My Soul Be Still. And I really, really like that song because it reminds us, you know, that we have to be still to sometimes focus on God because life just has a way of pulling you in so many different directions. And if you don't take the time to just stop, to meditate and to focus on him, he's going to get lost in the sauce, as they say. I do want to share with you at least uh, some of the verses of, uh, from this song because I think it's, it's just so meaningful. Still, my soul be still, and do not fear. The winds of change may rage tomorrow. God is at your side. No longer dread the fires of unexpected sorrow. God, you are my God, and I will trust in you and not be shaken. Lord of peace, renew a steadfast spirit within me to rest in you alone. And, and that's really helped me, you know, through this uh, difficult season. Because, you know, sometimes there have been days where it's taken everything out of me just to take care of my mom. And, you know, being able to listen to songs and just remind me that, you know, God is always there. You know, he's not left me alone, not at all. And I can walk this path because of him. And in him, I can find that rest. And I know it's something that we all look for each and every day. Because our path in this life is not easy. And that's not what he's promised us. But what he has promised is that he will always be with us. You know, no matter you know, how the storms blow or the winds rage, he'll always be with us. And should we run the race, he'll be there to welcome us home. And uh, I do have to thank Nick, because as you guys know, um, I'm the one that, that puts these uh, presentations together. And as doing that, I actually have to listen to some of the songs that our worship leaders pick, both Nick and Laura. And there have been a couple sometimes that they picked that I've fallen in love with instantly. And he did that for me yesterday. Because it falls in line with you know, this other song I just brought up. And we do what we do, only well, because of a holy God. Thanks, Austin. Thank you, Chen. Thank you. And I was this close to doing Psalm 46, which is be still and know that I am God. So we missed out there, guys. Um, maybe we can pivot. Maybe we can find a way to pivot. Um, no, thank you, Chen. I appreciate that. Um, and such a great message. Um, the Psalm this morning is Psalm 84. And we're going to be, it's going to be up on the screen. If you want to open it, you're more than welcome to. But we are going to be talking about, the author is going to be speaking about how incredible God's houses. How amazing it is to have this place where God is. Because back in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, God with God in flesh, and he died on the cross, and allowed us to have access through the Holy Spirit no matter what, there was a time when God was kind of really only in one specific place. He could work everywhere, but he was, his presence was in one place, and that was generally in this temple in Jerusalem, and they called it also Zion. And so this um, psalmist is taught as speaking from the place of the temple and just speak about how incredible this place is, how amazing it is, how immaculate it is, how majestic it is, how honoring it is, how incredible this place is. And because this destination, because this place is so great, he also talks about people who travel there and their travel is good. Their travel becomes positive because their destination is so great. Everything about this place is just good. And so it started getting me thinking and I wanna propose this question to you really quickly. Did you ever have a place or an activity or something in your life, whether it was growing up or maybe it's now, where you would just maybe routinely go to and you always looked forward to? Maybe it was a kid and you always got to go to your grandparents' lake house once a year, or maybe you went on a trip to Tahoe or Disneyland, or maybe it was the beach once a month, whatever it was. Did you have a place that you just looked forward to and you were excited to go there? 
Maybe even so much so that you were willing to forego all the pains it took to get there. Maybe those pains turned into joys because you were just excited to get to that place. For me, the first thing that pops into my head is um, when Megan and I were dating, she moved to Baltimore. So she moved 3,700 miles away from me, and we were apart for about a year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she moved away from me. Yeah, let's make that clear. <laughs> Stupid Johns Hopkins. <laughs> But she, but she moved away, and so when she was away, um, we, we'd come and visit each other occasionally. We, for the year we were apart, we probably saw each other once a month at least. I'd go to her, she'd come to me. And to anyone who knows anything about me, I am absolutely petrified of planes. Like, I'm just terrified. I don't know why, it's totally irrational, but I hate planes. Any little bit of turbulence, and I get freaked out. The days leading up to trips, I get freaked out. But for some reason, I shouldn't say for some reason, it's probably obvious, I was so excited to see Megan that my trips actually weren't as scary as they used to be. I would just like wake up at 6 a.m. and get to the airport, and I'm just kind of skipping around, and I look like a dummy in the airport, like who's, who's happy to be at the airport? And I'm just sitting there with this ear-to-ear grin. Then I get on the plane, and we take off, and there's a little bit of turbulence, and I'm like, who cares? Who cares about turbulence? I'm going to go see Megan. And sometimes we'd have to I'd have lots of layovers, so like one trip there and back would maybe involve four planes and tons of takeoffs and liftoffs. And I honestly, it, it, it never really bothered me as much because I knew I was so excited to go see her. And then when I get there, it was a blast. Um, Tenu was talking to me. Sometimes I don't always talk the best about Baltimore. But Baltimore's honestly awesome. They have awesome restaurants, and they have this incredible aquarium, and we have a great time. The trip back always stinks, obviously. Um, but then when I wasn't around her, physically in her presence, we still tried to find every single possible way to connect. So it was when AirPods came out, so we got AirPods, and we pretty much had AirPods in 24-7. One in while driving, which if that's illegal, I didn't do it. Um, <laughs> But we basically talked 24-7 whenever we could. And also, whenever we had freer time, we'd FaceTime. And we'd, we'd FaceTime, and I don't know if you know, but uh, most of you probably know, but there's a, fa- a feature on FaceTime where if you click the white button, you can take a screenshot, and it takes a photo of both sides. And so Megan and I started taking just photos for no real reason. We weren't trying to record anything or document. I think we just, like, like oh, I like seeing your face. We'll take a photo. And so I brought a couple of these. They're not that crazy, but I got Megan's approval to pr- post them. So here's one. Just a pretty regular one. Look, smiling, happy. I have no idea what's going on with my soft serve hair. Um, it's got an extra swirl on top. But it's just like it says that you took a FaceTime photo. Here's another one um, really quickly. Like a little goofy. I'm just giving you guys a little bit of like a candid window into our life. Yes, we're adorable. I know. Um, this next one is Megan trying to do uh, the Oreo challenge. You know, you ever seen that? You put an Oreo in your head and you try and like guard it into your mouth. And I will say she got it. Uh, and that's why I married her. So it's talents like that. Um, and the reason I show you those three photos is because um, we could be here till next month if I showed you all of them, because I basically counted, and we have over 1,100 of those. We have over 1,100 screenshots. And some of them are from her side, right? So I'm the bigger face in it, and she's like smaller in the corner. But we have over 1,100 of those. Basically, every moment we had, we just wanted to be together. We just wanted our presence. We wanted to share each other. Whether we couldn't be physically there, we were calling on the phone, we were FaceTiming, we just wanted to be together. There was nothing better. I would rather look at Megan on a rectangle than really hang out with a lot of other people or be doing anything else. Um, And I think similarly, our psalmist this morning is going to talk about how there is literally nothing that this world could offer, nothing that could possibly be better than simply being in the presence of God. It is so incredible, it is so great that even if you're not in the presence of God, you are so excited to be in the presence of God that it makes everything else around you just better. The psalmist says this in Psalm 84. 
How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are in the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your court is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Immediately, right off the bat, we can just see this psalm dripping with the passion and excitement and joy that the psalmist has. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. My soul longs. It longs, yes, it faints for you. God, I am a deer panting for water. I just can't get enough of you. My soul desperately needs you. For the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Last week I had that same phrase, for my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. My heart and flesh sing for joy. God, your place, your presence is so incredible. Then the psalmist will go on to say that your place is just a general place of good. God, even sparrows and swallows make nests. God, your house, your place where you are is a place of life. It's a place of prosperity. It's a place of comfort. It's a place where people belong. You have a house of dwelling, not a house of removing. You are a house of creation, not a house of destruction. Oh, Lord, how amazing, how incredible is your house. Then the next section, the psalmist is going to talk about people who travel, who travel and go to God's house, who take the trip to go to Jerusalem, to go to Zion. This place is so great that it actually makes their travels positive. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart is on the highway to Zion, as they go through the Valley of Baca. The Valley of Baca, I tried to do a lot of research on. I, I looked into my own stuff. I looked into commentators, and no one exactly knows what this place is, but one thing seems for certain. This is a place that is barren. This is a place that is bad news, that a place that is full of famine and drought, and this is not a place where people prosper. But they have to pass it oftentimes to go to Jerusalem. And so a place of drought then, the people who are traveling, they make it a place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. This place that should be a place of bad, I should hate the airport, but because they're so excited to go see God, because they're so entrenched in longing to go see their father who's waiting for them, it makes this place better. Whether that's literal or metaphorical, I can't say for certain, but whatever it is, they are walking there feeling excited, feeling full, feeling satisfied. And I love Psalm 84.7. If you ever need a little pick-me-up verse, this is a great one. They go from strength to strength. How many times in my life have I said, whether it's faith, whether it's just general life, life has ups and downs. For this psalmist, this is ups and ups. This is strength to strength. This is good to good. 
this presence, this place that they're going to go to is so incredible that as they're going there, they can only go from strength to strength, better to better to better to better. And once they think they've gotten their best, it's not, it gets better. There is nothing more incredible and worthwhile in our lives than to seek out God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. When I first read that part, I thought, man, that's beautiful imagery. That's amazing. I've said, that to, I've said this phrase a thousand times where I've said I'd rather go to the DMV with my best friend than you know, someone I don't know to Disneyland, right? I'd rather spend a day with God than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, have this lowly job, as long as it means I get to be with God, than be in this luxurious tent with the wicked. But what I've loved about this series is I've been able to go into more in-depth on these psalms, and I've learned stuff that's given me so much color into what's going on here. So there's actually a background history that I think makes this section really impactful. So we have to rewind time a little bit. This psalm is written by a group of people. It's called the Sons of Korah. The psalms are written by lots of different people. Moses has written one. David's written one. Last week we talked about Asaph. This morning it's the Sons of Korah. And so previously, um, God was anointing and picking three groups of people, three tribes, to have tasks and to have sort of rule and domain over parts of their temple, over this place that God has, this place that the psalmist is talking about. Three tribes had jobs. One of the uh, tribes was called the Kohathites. I always want to say Korathites, and it's always wrong. Kohathites. And this group of people was in charge of carrying and protecting and placing the sacred items which is like a really big deal. So they have like the Ark of the Covenant and things that are just of massive importance, but they start getting a little bit upset with their job. One of the reasons is actually very hilarious and petty. It's because the other tribes were allowed to use carts for their tasks, and they're not allowed to use a cart because their items are too special. You can't use a cart for it, so you have to wrap it in a certain cloth, and you have to hoist it up and then carry it, and then it's this whole process, and they're like, why do those guys get carts? Why do I have to carry this? This is terrible. And so there's a guy named Korah who's part of this group who doesn't love his job. He doesn't love these tasks. And so he starts an uprising. He starts a rebellion. He gathers about 250 people, and he gathers it under one platform. That out loud might sound like a really good thing. He might sound like he's making a good point, but he does not have good intentions. His platform is, uh, he's talking to the people above him, which at this point is Moses and Aaron, and he says, You say we're all holy. You say we're all holy and important. So why do we have this junky job? And why do you get to be the priest? Why do you get to have this high and mighty job? Why do you get to have all the authority and power when we're stuck doing this dumb job? We don't want to do this anymore. We want the priesthood. We want the power. It's a decent platform, right? We're all holy. We're all willing. We're all able to do it. And Moses says, guys, we get the chance to do exactly what God has asked. You get to be in the presence of God. You get to be around the Ark of the Covenant. You get to be in the temple. You get to be working. Is it not good enough for you to just be with God? It's not about the task. It's not about the power. Is it not just good enough for you to just be in the presence of God? That's what he's asked us to do. He's given us these tasks. Isn't God himself good enough? And Korah says, no, absolutely not. I want that. I want the priesthood. And so they have this little intermingling and eventually uh, God intervenes and talks to Moses and Moses, God kind of is talking to Moses and he's like, hey, just a heads up, why don't you just take a few steps back? 
What you're doing right now, just take a few steps back and tell everyone else to kind of step away from this group of people. So they do, and the earth opens up, and they fall, and then God goes, and closes up the earth. And everyone was obviously freaked out, and they're all running around scattered, lest they be also swallowed by the earth. Uh, it says they fell into the earth alive, which I'm, that just sounds horrifying. I don't exactly know what the end of that is. Um, but basically, God punishes them for trying to take this mantle that he has not provided, and basically saying, I have given you a task, I've given you this job, and you are not being obedient. My presence, I am good enough, just be with me. And they said, no, I don't want that, I want more. And so their punishment is this rebellion falls through, they fall down. This isn't, sorry, this is in Numbers chapter 16, if you want to go back and read it. Then we learn three chapters later in Numbers that God spared the sons of Korah, that God spared the lineage. So these people are people that come from a place where they said, this job isn't fun, God isn't good enough for this, and then God spares their lineage, and their lineage writes this psalm where they say, God, I just want to be a doorkeeper. They have realized, they have seen the true God and said, man, our ancestors, my genealogy missed out. It is not about the power. It is not about the authority. It is, not, it is just simply about being where you are. God, I would rather be a doorkeeper. It says historically this group of people was also probably the custodians. They're cleaning up. And they are just amped to simply be where God is. They would rather be doorkeepers in the tents of the wicked. Back at the rebellion, Moses warns people to stay away from the wicked tents of Korah. And here, they are relating that back and saying, I don't need those wicked tents. I don't need the prosperity. I don't need it. A popular theologian named Charles Spurgeon on this verse says, it's just plain and simple that even God's worst for you is so much better than the devil's best. I don't believe there is such a thing as God's worst. I believe he's using wordplay there, but even God's worst is better than the devil's best. The same idea, a couple uh, years later, Paul writes this in the book of Philippians. Paul has just, taught, has just laced out the verses before this. He's just talked about how he has everything. He is the zealot of zealot, the Pharisee of Pharisee. He knows everything. Under the old law, Paul is basically perfect. Like, according to the old law, according to how he was living it. Sorry, that's great. You can put it back up there. My bad. But Paul says this right after he has just named all of his accolades. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. We are promised over and over and over in Scripture that there's nothing better than just seeing God. But I'll be honest with you guys standing up here. I don't always feel that way. I don't always feel like God's presence is the greatest thing in the world. Sometimes I'm not even confident his presence is here. Sometimes I get scared, confused, nervous. And I would love to offer lots of ideas or solutions to that, but I'm going to get slightly creative with, with one idea, because I could tell you guys, hey, we just got to pray more, we just got to read more, and we're good. We just got to talk to people more. And all of those are good things. Please do not hear me standing up here and preaching and say those are bad things. But I have one idea, at least for me, why I think it's so hard for me sometimes. 
I want to call it the burden of convenience. Sometimes when things become, I mean, we all know this idea, right? When things become so commonplace and so convenient, they start to lose their specialness. If you have the greatest meal of your night ever, and then the next night you have it again, and then again, 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 again. On the 20th night, that greatest meal ever, you're kind of like, okay, I've had it. It's fine. Now, I have preached here before. I have talked with you guys personally. I've been in Bible studies. I've gone across the country and said this idea, and I will say this idea till the day I die, that we on this side of the cross have the greatest blessing and gift ever, and that is we get to have a relationship with Christ. No one has to interfere, and he is here in this room, alive and well, and we get to be around him whenever we want. I will proclaim that till the day I die. That is one of the greatest gifts human beings could have. But I also think because God is convenient, Maybe we don't feel as special or honoring or, or, or something amazing, relishing these opportunities that we get to be with him. Imagine if God wasn't in this room. We were back in the old What if God was in one house in Joshua Tree? And you, once a month, once a year, had to travel and set up plans to go see him. You had the tough parts of your life. Then you went and you got to be there and you just got overflowed with the presence of God. You got to taste and see who he was. I can almost guarantee that each one of you, the moment you left, you'd be like, when do I get to go back? Every time something hard, it's like, okay, God, I, I just need to go back. I can't wait. I just can't wait to go back to Joshua Tree. I can't wait to go back and see God. It would become more special if it was a little bit rarer. That same greatest meal you've ever had, if you were absolutely starving, someone gave you one bite of it and then kicked you out of the restaurant you would just be like, how do I get that back? How do I go back to that? Sometimes I think because God is everywhere, because he is here, sometimes we don't feel like it's as special. So this is my encouragement. This is my, one of my takeaways. This is my homework for you. Depending on your answer, this is either a huge homework assignment or a very tiny homework assignment, so that's up to you. Don't blame me. I will encourage all of you to think of a way that you can make a pilgrimage. Whether that's once a week, once a month, once a year, try to think of an activity or a place you could go to where you get to meet God in a more intentional way. Because I know for a fact that all of us, especially talking to a lot of you, we all interact with God in different ways. Some of us, it's music. Some of us, it's books. I know someone here who they feel like they make God in Harry Potter. Some of us, it's mountains. Some of us, it's beaches. Some of us, it's through our kids. Some of us, it's a walk to the park. Whatever it is. I'd encourage you to set something on your calendar that you look forward to as a place that you get to go and interact with God. Maybe that's just every Friday morning you go on a walk down the block to the park and walk back. Maybe it's once a month you go on a camping trip just by yourself for one night. Maybe it's once a year you do something for two or three days, right? Go away, but something that you get to look forward to. Which doesn't mean that we can't still talk and pray with God. Megan and I still FaceTimed and talked on the phone, but I was still excited to go see her. I can't promise you that if you set up this one idea that God will be more special in that place or you will feel, but it's you being more intentional to say, God, I'm gonna give you this time. I'm gonna find a place to look forward to you. Because my hope and prayer would be that this morning, a Sunday morning, this is something that every person in this room is just can't wait to get here. You are just dying and chomping at the bit to get here and worship together. And you know what? Maybe that is some of you. 
And before I became a pastor, I didn't, when I didn't have jobs and stuff to do on Sunday mornings, and I just went, I know for, for me it wasn't always the greatest thing. So think of something for you. Maybe it's reading a book. Find a way to set up a routine that isn't just every day, but maybe something a little bit extra special that you get to go and see God. Make it a little more unique. But again, that doesn't mean that we can't have the little things. I brought him up here before once. Um, his name is Brother Lawrence. He is a monk who lived in a monastery, and he had a book written about him because he lived a life that everyone was envious of. He was a cook. He was a janitor. He never left the monastery, and everyone said, this is the happiest guy we've ever seen. We don't understand why. And his answer is, because I invite God into literally everything, and his presence is all I need, and that's all that matters. And so he has this quote from his book, The Practice of the Presence of God. There is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. Let us occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God. The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. Strength to strength. The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. We are, I know this isn't scripture, but this is a man who is living off of scripture who is saying he has felt that every time he's gone and tried to get to know God, God has honored him and given him a bigger desire to try and get to know God. Little by little. And if you don't feel like God is the greatest thing in your life right now, I felt that too, I get that. I can promise you, especially based on the psalm, that there's nothing better and that we just gotta work a little bit. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly with him. O Lord, God of hosts, blessed be the one who trusts in you. We just gotta trust in him and that his presence is the greatest thing in the world. Let's be people who trust in God. Will you guys please pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father God, thank you that you are everywhere. Thank you that when troubles hit, when, when good things hit, no matter what happens to us, thank you that you were there with us, laughing with us, crying with us, picking us up, running with us. Whatever it might be, God, we are so thankful for your presence. God, help us to have a renewed spirit that you are with us. Help us to long for you, God. Help us to faint for you. Help us to be so excited and joyous and happy to go and meet you. God, put that in our spirit. Strength to strength, desire to more desire. God, you do not withhold any good thing from your people. God, I'm so thankful for who you are, and I pray and honor you in this place. In your name, amen.